Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 201. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and welcome to the New Year 2023 edition of the Broken Pie Chart. All right. Today, everyone's doing their best, worst list and all that. And a lot of shows are actually not even, you know, they're running repeats. And I guess we could have done that. But I thought I would give you just a few things to look at. And I always, I read a lot. I watch a lot, but I read a lot of other people's stuff. And uh, I was on Twitter and Charlie uh, Bellello, hopefully I'm pronouncing his, uh, his name correctly. Somebody forwarded me his, uh, something he put out. And it's basically the, the S&P total returns by decade since, uh, what is this, since 1928. And I know we just had 2022 was a down year. I'm sure other people have already told you it's very rare to have consecutive down years in a row. And if we look, you know, down about 18, a little over 18% uh, in 2022. 2018 was minus 4.4%, 2008 minus 37%. So, you know, going back, we're talking three down years so far. We don't know what next year is going to be three down years since we had the three down years in a row in the early 2000s. So yeah, it's it's somewhat rare to have consecutive down years. Again, I don't know what's going to happen with the markets. That's what we buy, we hedge, stay invested because you really don't know. And I can tell you that a lot of people start to get fearful after down years. They might sell at the bottom or what they think is the bottom, or they might go to cash and stay in cash for a while. But yeah, I mean, it's most years markets are up. And the other thing I'd, I'd remind people is, and I think it's a good reminder for everyone. And you know, you can share this with people that, you know, or if you're managing money, then, you know, share this with your clients that if, if I was to tell you that even over a 10 year period, most decades, in fact, all but um, here I'm looking going back to 1930s, uh, 1930 and 1939, so it's a 10-year period. I know you're like, wait a second, 1930 and 1940, but it's 30 through 39, it's actually 10 years. Kind of just do it on your fingers, it makes sense. And that decade was right around minus 1% annualized return for 10 years. Okay, so pretty much market didn't go anywhere, and that's including dividends. 2000 to 2009. Okay, what do we have there? Well, that period was down a little bit less than 1% annualized, meaning over a 10-year period, if you annualize a return, you kind of, you lost around 1% a year, again, including dividends. And what does that include? All right, well, 2000 was down 9.1%, 2001 was down 11.9%, 2002 was down 22.1%. 2008 was down 37%. You have four down years, and I will say 22 and certainly 37 are pretty significant. And even then, sure, it's a lost decade. You could look at that. Uh, But at the same time, the annualized return was only a little bit less than 1%. So essentially, you're flat. If you start the year with a million, you know, start the decade with a million dollars, you have slightly less than a million dollars now. All right. But that includes all those bad years. 
And I was asking somebody the other day, I said, all right, let's say we end the year here. And according to this, down 18.1% total return. What is the return decade to date? And decade to date would be 2020, 2021, 2022. Think about it for a second. Most people would think the average annualized return would be down. But in fact, it's still positive. It's still right around 8% annualized return, meaning if you started with you know a million dollars at January 1st of 2020, you are up money. You're actually up money. And why is that? Well, you were up 18.4% in 20, 28.7% in 21, then down 18.1%. So there's a couple things that I think are important here. First, always kind of look at things. I mean, everyone's time horizon is different, right? I'm, I'm not going to give you the whole litany list of disclaimers and all that, you know, risk tolerance, you know, all that stuff. But historically, what we can see is it is rare to have consecutive years down. And it is very rare to have negative decades. And even when we do have negative decades, they're not really that bad. They're sort of flat-ish. And, you know, there's another thing on here that shows your return over, you know, five-year periods, seven-year periods, 10-year periods. And obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, but... It should be obvious, the longer time in the market, uh, the greater probability that your returns will be positive. And so I thought that was just an interesting way to, you know, to look at things. The other thing that uh, same person uh, put out is the annual, so this is the, uh, how should I phrase this? From 1929 to 2022, this is the number of all-time highs reached. In other words, how many times did the S&P 500 index make a new all-time high? And so let me just explain this. I know some some of you are like, no, I get it. I get it, Derek. But let's say the market was at 5,000 and that was the all-time high. And then it went to 5,001. I guess it could go 5,000 and a penny, but you get it. That would be another all-time high. And then it goes to 5,002. That's another all-time high. Well, we've had quite a run from 2013 through 2021. The least number of all-time highs in a single year was 2015, and that was 10. Well, until 2022, we had one single all-time high. That was back in January. It might be tough to remember all the way back January, but yeah, we made an all-time high. And what's interesting about this is it just goes to show you how good of a a period we've been in from an investing standpoint. I mean, 2013 to 2022, or at least, you know, through the end of 21, early 2022, I mean, 2017, 62 all-time highs. 2021, 70 all-time highs. And there were other periods when we had a lot of really, really good momentum like this, all-time highs, 1989 through early 2000. I mean, we saw some years in here, 1995, 77 all-time highs. 1994, only five. Interesting, uh, I keep mentioning 1994 and 95 because I do remember those periods of time when the Fed was raising rates, earnings stayed positive. When they pivoted in in, uh, 95, we actually had 77 all-time highs. Don't know if that's going to happen again, but I'm just saying Uh, History doesn't repeat itself. Is that the saying? But it often rhymes. 
And so if we look at the number of all-time highs, I mean, 1930 through 1953, there were zero all-time highs. 74 through 79, zero all-time highs. 2001 to 2012, every year but 2007, which had nine all-time highs, had zero all-time highs. So I think it's one of those things. Number one is we've been on a really good run and markets have come down. And the other thing I would say is even though markets have come down, the annualized return is still positive decade to date. It's right around 8%. That's pretty good, despite this year. So we'll see what happens next year. Uh, Jay and I did our predictions. We put those out. Uh, I think that was episode 200. I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, but I, I thought it's, it's always good to give a little perspective here. The other thing that I was uh, reading and, and uh, caught me, I, I had to think about it a second, is the idea that there have been periods where treasury bills, so treasury bills are not treasury bonds. You know, treasury bonds are longer in, in maturity, you know, like your 10, your 20-year bonds. Those are treasury bonds. Treasury bills are, are lower maturity. Um, and so interesting stat, they, I think it was Med Faber and then John uh, Hussman, and let me pull this up here, had sort of put out. It's this idea that it would surprise people that Treasury bills outperform the S&P 500 total return in more years than you would think. Hussman pointed out that the S&P 500 lagged Treasury bills from 1929 to 1947, from 1966 through 1985, and from 2000 through 2013. And I'm quoting John Hussman here, 50 years out of an 84-year period, total return. Uh, even longer versus bonds. And, you know, I read John Husband's stuff. He puts out uh, some interesting pieces. Uh, he focuses a lot on valuation, things like price to sales, uh, looking at, uh, you know, sort of the, the market cap over gross value added. Uh, I'll put a link to, uh, to a piece that he's written about that. And he puts out really, really long pieces. So if you're interested in the markets, I would recommend giving his stuff a read. But that is really interesting. And, you know, I went and I looked back and I said, well, what type of yield? In other words, for a treasury bill to outperform the market in any given year, let's say the treasury bill is right now yielding, you know, let me kind of look up the yield here. And I'll just mention for the audience too, since not everyone may know this, you know, the, the general definition of a treasury bill versus a bond, treasury bills are one year or earlier or sooner or less, let's say. In maturity. So for this, I'll use a one-year treasury bill, I'll call it. And anything above that would be considered, you know, a bond. And then, of course, you get into things with coupons or zero coupons and all that. But the treasury yield, the one-year treasury yield right now is 4.7%. So essentially, for treasury bills to outperform the S&P in 2023, you would have to have a market return on a total return basis less than 4.72%. Otherwise, the Treasury bill would do better. Now, most years, it's, uh, you know, especially when interest rates were higher, the hurdle was a little bit higher. But if you had down markets, sure, Treasury bills would, would outperform. And bonds typically, although it's, you know, it's a little bit weird right now, like a, a one-year Treasury right now is 4.72%. But a 
10-year treasury bond is only 3.87%. We've got that inverted yield curve. During normal times, that doesn't normally happen. And you've got to call, quote unquote, time premium or premia, as the uh, the economist of the Fed would call it. And treasury bonds would have a higher yield to uh, to maturity, a higher total return. And remember, if you buy a one-year treasury, you know, I was going to say on January 1st, the market's closed. Market's not open until Tuesday the 3rd this year. But if you buy that bond on Tuesday the 3rd and you hold it through December 31st, you should, you know, barring default by the U.S. government, if they ever default, you know, we're all in a whole lot of trouble. Uh, they would return 4.7% because you get your your premium back or your uh, money back at maturity at par value. And you get, you know, if it's a coupon, you get your interest payments. If it's a zero coupon, it's sort of implied or embedded in the price of the bond. You know, if it's not paying a coupon, you would pay a, a lower rate. And then the, the price of the bond would sort of be an all-in, uh, you know, anyway, for the coupon. So I thought that was sort of interesting. And, you know, the thing is, though, that if you're looking at the, uh, not necessarily of Treasury bills, how many years they've outperformed uh, the market, but there's also the, the sort of magnitude of returns that you would, you know, average in the markets over time or experience the ability to, to experience that versus what you could get in a one-year treasury bill. If I use uh, Professor Aswath Demodaran, uh, his data, and I'll link to that, NYU Stern, he puts out a, a great resource, by the way, Historical Returns on Stocks, Bonds, and Bills, 1928 through 2021. Uh, I'm sure he'll update that shortly as he usually does it's a it's an excellent excellent resource if you want some historical uh, data but if we kind of take a look like 2019 the s&p total return was 31.21 percent the treasury bill was uh and he's using the three-month bill not the one year but about 1.55 percent there's that magnitude of return uh, 1989 31.48 percent in the market 8.11 percent in treasury bills three month now imagine that on an annualized return. And so that would be, you buy a three month and at the end of three months, you buy another one and the three months, buy another one. You do that four times within a year. 8.11% is more like an equity return. Uh, you go back to the, the late 70s, 1981, minus 4.7% in the equity markets, S&P 500 total return, 14.03% buying three month treasuries. Uh, I always joke around and say, if I wrote my book, uh, of course, you can get broken pie chart on Amazon. And I did, I'm not going to say I predicted this year in bonds. It's It's been, you know, the worst year in bonds on a total return basis. I mean, just un, unheard of uh, negative returns in bonds. Uh, but I actually outlaid or, or laid out the whole case for why bonds past performance is not going to equal future returns. And I went through the scenarios about low interest rates, about uh duration risk, meaning interest rate risk on bonds. So uh, still, a, still a good read, uh, Broken Pie Chart available on Amazon. Uh, always good to pick up a new book for the start of the year. By the way, you can reach me at Derek.Moore at ZegaFinancial.com. That's D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Z as in Zebra, E as in Eddie, G as in George, A as in Apple. Financial's up to you to spell correctly, dot com. So yeah, I mean, although it sounds surprising, Interest rates used to be a lot higher. 
uh, at least they were for a good amount of time. So if you have a, you know, you can buy a treasury bill and get six, 7% annualized return. The market has, you know, a flat market or a down market. You're going to, you can definitely outperform that. You just don't have, I mean, the, on a bill basis, in order for treasury bills to have really, really high yields, uh, you would have to have interest rates be really high. Why? Because when you have a one-year, let's say we do a one-year treasury bill, the sensitivity to changes in interest rates is really low because it's only a year. Your, your effective duration is actually less than a year as opposed to buying 30-year treasury bonds where if interest rates go down, you have all that duration. And that's why, you know, 2008, you saw 20% return in 10-year bonds. Uh, 2020 was 11.33%. As the Fed lowered those rates to zero, all that duration was a really a tailwind. 1985, 1986, you know, 25%, 24% in treasury bonds. So, um, but yeah, I had to take a look at this and just looking at the data. Yeah, I mean, most years, and I'll have to see, this would have been an interesting question for me to, to look at because I think this is potentially maybe the first year where even three-month treasury bills, as Professor DeModeran, uh has in here, potentially might be negative. But, you know, they do get to coupon payments, so I'll have to keep an eye on that. 2021, it was 0.06%, but, of course, interest rates were nothing back then. So just a, a few little things to, uh, to kind of nibble on as we start the new year. And finally, one of the things I'll mention is, well, certainly investors never want down years. One of the things that 2022 presented itself with was the opportunity for tax, tax loss harvesting, if I can say it correctly. And that's where... There's some interesting ways to, I mean, to take losses. And, you know, last thing I'm going to do is give tax advice, certainly not publicly or privately. I'm not an accountant, not a CPA. Uh, but just sort of the general rule on this is, you know, when you have losses, you can use them up to a certain amount. Usually it's 3000 against, uh, uh, you know, income, or you can use losses against gains. And if you don't use the losses, you get to sort of carry them forward. So, some basic stuff and the CPAs out there are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's really like back of the envelope stuff. But um, this is a good opportunity if you're working with an accountant to talk to them and make sure you're, uh, you're incorporating all those things in there. The other thing I'll just mention too is for people who are contributing to 401ks, down years are actually really good. Here's why. You're contributing money each and every paycheck, hopefully. Let's say you're, and you're putting money into the, the you know, low-cost index funds or low-cost funds. Or you're someone who's just starting out. Like you, you really don't want the market to be up 50%, 50%, 50% because you're building a base. You want to be contributing money and you'd love to buy shares when things are down. In fact, you'd like the market to be down each and every year for let's say the next five years or 10 years or if you're younger – 20 years, and then get that acceleration. And by the way, if you're, I, I had a question from someone the other day and they said, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about the market in 2023. And I always remind people, you know, when you read the predictions, do the Google search, list the parameters to a certain year, 
and you see the same people making the same dire bearish predictions year after year. It doesn't mean people aren't right. It doesn't mean that markets can't go down. We just saw a down year. Uh, but bearish, drastic, downward predictions get clicks. It's clickbait and it scares people. But I can tell you, and this is from uh, Nick Majulia. Uh, he wrote a book called, uh, where's his book? I think he wrote a book. Oh, Just just Keep Buying, I think, is the, is the book. I haven't read it, but uh, somebody pointed it out to me. But he's got a, a chart that he must have taken from his book, and it's the annualized returns after buying during a 50% plus drawdown. And it's just the, the idea that... Um, Often when you're buying markets and those of you who are contributing to 401ks and doing it on a, on a periodic basis, uh, dollar cost averaging, these types of things, over time, when you're buying markets lower, your probability of future higher returns goes up. Nothing guaranteed. Doesn't mean that we're not going to have another down year. Doesn't mean we're not going to have an up year. But I would say that for people who are contributing, look, you just don't want the market to go up always. You'd like opportunities to dollar cost average in at cheaper prices. And so that's uh, that's sort of the quick uh, 2023. I'm recording this January 1st, first one of 2023. This is episode 2000, 2000 oh God, no, 2000 or 201. So just want to thank everyone for listening over the last couple of years. We did hit that milestone of 200. Rather than rating and starring and doing all that, Go ahead and share this with someone who you think would enjoy it, would think would get something out of it. Um, and that would really go much further for me and, and uh, our program than uh, just, you know, asking for reviews and everything like that. Hopefully you get some value of this, bring some different perspective, and it helps you out. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.